Hi there, and welcome to this week's PropCast. I'm Andrew Teacher. I'm the founder of Blackstock Consulting, and I'm joined here by Phil Clark, who's Head of Property Investment at Aegon Asset Management. And we're talking about reputation uh, of the, the fund management world and a landscape that, that's seen some, some massive shocks, Phil, over the last few months with all of the, uh, the, the, the scandal around Neil Woodford's funds, the links with Hargreaves Lansdowne and, and discussions and debate around transparency, pricing, and, and, and once again, we're also seeing gating within numerous open-ended property funds as well. And, and all of these things combine, don't they, to uh, essentially put a few black clouds over the reputation of the industry. You're absolutely right. I mean, it's not helpful when you have uh, something like, um, you know, the, the unfortunate outcome of Neil Woodford's uh, fund gating. Uh, it's a reflection of some of the risks in investment. In this case, it's about the mismatch between illiquid assets and the right strategy to be able to maintain meeting uh, redemptions. You know, and, and people keep on bringing up headlines about um, property funds as well. So, you know, we manage one of these under the name of Kames Property Income Fund in the UK, uh, invests in real estate. And, you know, your question is, are they fit for purpose fundamentally? Do you know what? Uh, actually, if people understand what it is that's written and marketed, then I really do think they are fit for purpose. The, the issue with that is... Um, people often act in slightly irrational uh, ways or extremely cautious ways. And um, that happens at times when there's deep stress in an economy. So if you have a big run uh, on a fund, such as the uncertainty that came out of 2016 referendum, you know, you get people taking money out of the market. You can cause funds to gate because they can't meet redemptions at the rate they're coming out. The flip side of that, though, I will say, because no one reports this, is... Everybody hits the headline about, wow, you know, all this money came out of uh, open-ended daily dealt property funds. Do you know what? Um, 85% of all investors kept their money in and continue to keep their money in. But that was what I was going to say. So actually, on the institutional level, 2016 was, was relatively... Well, institutionally, institutional investors think long-term. They think, uh, if I'm going to invest in real estate, there are significant costs to buy real estate. It's an 8, 8% round-trick cost, and I want to take a long-term view, and it often matches my long-term liabilities as a pension fund. Well, it wasn't, wasn't one of the issues in, in 2016 the amount that was held in equities within those funds? Yeah, I, I think I made a headline. I'm not sure it was actually that much. It might have uh, had an impact on the, uh, the on the REIT market and share prices. Yeah, for well, sure. Well, it did because they were dumping loads of shares, weren't they? Which was then became a, a self-perpetuating downward spiral. Well, that's the two different things, aren't they? You've got open-ended daily dealt funds, which is just. Uh, owning the underlying bricks and mortar with some cash and some shares, and then you have just the REIT for the REITs themselves, and yeah, they saw their share prices hit, no question. But that also bounced back. Pretty but the, but a lot. But but the, certainly, what was written at the time, and, and do correct me if you think this is wrong. But one one of the things that was alleged was that numerous funds within those buffers that were meant to be cash were held shares. Yeah, it wasn't that much. I mean, you have right. a limit on it, you know. I mean, uh, typically you've got to hold at le- around about uh, 80%. On a stabilised market, you hold 80% in real assets, you know, actual bricks and mortar, and you hold 20% in cash or REITs, and the REITs bit is no more than 10%, you know. And a lot of people actually don't hold any REITs at all. So I think it gets inflated. I think that would be my point. But, but have we learned anything? Because, I mean, we're now three years on from the referendum. Um, again, we're seeing gating occur again in, in property. And there are questions over there are questions over liquidity that just haven't been answered. You know, we've still are in a are in a landscape where unsophisticated investors can have the opportunity of buying into funds 
daily price daily the same as as they would see a, a, an equity product and there is a question mark, Phil Clark, over whether those people are, are informed appropriately. Well, let's see, I think you've hit on a key point there, is um, regulation has changed um, to encourage individuals to take more individual decisions. That's how it sort of plays out in the market. Um, I personally think you must have an advisor if you're going to take any investment decision. And I'll just put my hand up and say, you know, I've been in my industry 30 years as an investor in real estate, but I would still seek advice, independent advice. If I'm going to allocate uh, money into a pension or an ISA, I think you need that advice, you know, because we cannot be experts in all areas. But so, does that not put you at odds with, I, I suppose, you know, critics of that point would say well, you're, you're out of touch, Phil Clark, because a lot of the market now that uses online platforms from Vanguard, from Hargreaves, Lansdowne, they're, they're quite happy not having an advisor because actually what value, what value do these, these guys add? Well, at the end of the day, the value is do you make a good decision? And if you're going to put money into real estate, you should take a long-term view. And if you're going to put it in on a short-term trading basis, it's the wrong sector. Now, to your point, does that message get out there? Um, I can't answer that. Uh, I'm not the one who's giving the advice. But I do think that's a message that needs to go out there. If you're going to put money into real estate in an open-ended daily dealt fund, put it in for the long term because there are costs associated with that. It's not something just to kind of take a quick ride as the market goes up. And back to my point, I think that's what most investors do. 85% of the market has stayed uh, invested in the sector. Uh, that also is not trying to ignore the point. There's a reputational risk here. There is a question mark around, you know, how fit for purpose have these funds proved to be at times of stress. So I do think there are some changes required. And I think one of the changes we could um, actually bring in as just a standard expectation is having longer redemption notice periods to enable a smoother uh, ability uh, to sell properties in order to meet redemptions as opposed, as opposed to creating these spikes. Because whilst you want to give liquidity, it's very hard to give liquidity, you know, at a very daily rate basis uh, with assets that can take, you know, uh, you know, six, eight weeks to sell. So I think just having a longer redemption period is helpful. To do that, I think the operating platforms of some of the uh, wealth managers probably need to be able to accommodate that. That would need some replumbing that has cost and that's going to take time to implement. But I think that's a key consideration for these funds. The second point is, if you, you, know, if you just say, you know what, uh, they don't work, let's close them down. Well, that has a systemic risk as well. So I don't think that's the answer. And I do think it gives people the option to access a sector, which is not easy to access otherwise. Um, it does give people the ability to put small amounts in to access returns from real estate. But understand what, you, what you're putting money into, understand that it's got an underlying illiquidity in the asset class and don't expect to trade in and out quickly. Take a long-term view. And if you do that, the returns will show you, you get a very, very good return for property. And right now, as people are talking about, you get this illiquidity premium as well. It's, and that's the thing that's on offer to people. You know, there's a kind of um, a false presentation, if you like, trying to present it as a daily adult fund. If we could present it as just a long-term investment where you have certain periods of liquidity, I think it would, I think it would be incredibly popular. In fact, probably even more popular than now. And I think that's the point, isn't it? It's, it's the, 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 the criticism is that these are presented as if they were ultra-liquid, equity-style routes into into real estate when when it isn't quite the case i mean in terms of uh, of of i suppose the fallout from woodford because it, it you know it's it's a sort of well a, a different kind of problem in a way in that 
um, the the profile of of what he's been or what he was invested in didn't quite match the appetite of his investors. That was one issue, wasn't it? And and then, and the other big question mark is the relationships between the platforms and the products, and and that relationship not being quite so clear as, as some might have wanted. That that latter one isn't. That's actually not an issue in real estate, is it? No. That, so we speak to the platforms literally every day. You know, we're having conversations all the time. There are questions that come up. There's how much of your money comes through those platforms? Uh, all, all, pretty much all of it. You know, pretty much all of it comes through those platforms. And I would say we have a, a very good dialogue with those platforms. You know, um, on a daily basis, they'll have questions, you know, what's the current yield or, you know, what's your forecast on uh, rental growth or how do you think your particular fund's going to do, et cetera, et cetera. So we, we manage those questions daily. Then there are the obvious updates, you know, what's, what's kind of going on in the fund, you know, have you bought more, have you sold more, have you held, have you done more asset management, increased your income, are you putting more to cash, are you cautious, whatever it might be. I have those all the time. I think w- what we are restricted from doing is starting to have sort of um, uh, a creep in your investment strategy, as it were. We invest in bricks and mortar, hold some cash for redemptions, and occasionally we hold shares as well, you know, real estate investment trust shares. Mission creep is very hard to achieve now. We can't go invest in anything else. We can't kind of create clever vehicles on the side. We may look to convert later into a kind of more aligned liquidity profile underlying asset. We just invest in real estate, and that's what it is. So we, we're kind of restrictive from uh, doing what um, Neil Woodford appeared to do um, in, with a bit of mission creep. So, so, um, so what can we learn from, from the Woodford affair then? Because, I mean, it's... Uh... You can't communicate enough, is the first thing I would say, to your investor base. Your investors have to understand clearly what they're investing in. And I think Mark Carney made this point. You have to spell out to people... If you want to trade in or out quickly, and if you, um, you run the risk of not being able to do that, given the underlying assets are illiquid. So my personal view is I think we need to manage the redemption periods for people to invest in and invest out of a fund, which is investing in real estate. And if you, if you want to take a short-term bet, you're in the wrong sector. So how, just coming back to your, your earlier point on, on the need for advice, how, how does that marry up? with the, the, the retail investment landscape we're in. Because let's face it, we're not going to... You can't undo the, the market uh, you know, the market share that the likes of Vanguard and HL and, and, and others have. People like using those platforms, then they are going to continue to. Yeah, so there's a responsibility that's split, isn't there? So if you're... Uh, Who's responsible? Is it the platforms or is it, or is it the fund managers? Well, it's, it's both, isn't it? Because the fund managers need to understand why the investors are investing, and if those investors happen to come through uh, the platforms, then you know that's just a, a way of, of uh, delivering capital, as it were. It's just an aggregation uh, vehicle. The platforms themselves offer default programs, and it's their responsibility to make sure they're investing in a fund and holding adequate. Um, measures to meet the liquidity or the income payout requirements of individual um, investors, and there is a there is a, the contra- contract. There is investor, individual investor giving money to the platform. They're the ones who are taking that responsibility to make the right allocation choice. Mm. So, if you can hold your money for the longer term, real estate, even in the da- open-ended daily debt fund, I think is a very good investment. If you want to take a very short-term view, it's the wrong sector. And 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 just just. 
you know, closing things off, what should the regulators be doing? Are there, are there some changes that, that you would like to see from, from the regulator over the next year or so in, in response to some of this? Because there have been reports, John Forbes' AREF report on, on, on trying to sort out some of these problems. has you know, It made a big impact, but hasn't really been taken on board, has it? Well, the, you know, there's a lot of discussion that clearly takes place. I mean, I will put a hand up for the regulator because the regulator actually puts a huge amount of time and effort into looking into issues like this. Uh, I know from some of uh, my engagements um, in that in that area. I think that we simply um, uh, we've been having an engagement as an industry, uh, both as the managers and also with the regulator. And I think this is um, I would be optimistic about there being um, a, a suitable response in due course. If you're asking me personally, I think the easiest way to manage where we are now is to enable longer term redemptions. In the long term, maybe there's a case for a different vehicle, but that's such a long way down the line, I wouldn't get focused but, on it. But largely, in defence of open-ended funds, thanks very much, Phil Clark from Aegon Asset Management, and this has been a PropCast from Blackstock Consulting. Thank you. Thank you.